We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Command Center podcast, home of the biggest edge in Dynasty fantasy football. My name is still Travis May. I am the Debbie coordinator at RotoViz. If you did not know that already, and I'm joined by Curtis Patrick, and he is the Dynasty coordinator at RotoViz. What do those titles mean? Well, I kind of put things together for Debbie Leagues, you know, that nerdy format where you can own some college players before they even get to the pros. And Curtis heads up some of the, well, really all the Dynasty uh, content over at RotoViz. And so it's been a blast just kind of. Looking at uh, the new site and the new new happenings going on, we're ready ready to launch at Rotoviz. So just tons to look forward to there. Well, last week we actually talked about some Superflex, tight end premium things like that. A bunch of quarterbacks and tight ends. And maybe maybe you, maybe you didn't like it because you all you want to talk about is rookie running backs and rookie wide receivers. Well, that's great because this week we're going to be chatting about the battle for the running back one spot and uh, some of the most relevant names there. But uh, first, Curtis, what's been on your mind as we approach the NFL draft? I know it's it's crazy to think that it's like two weeks away. Are you just like ready for it to be here? Are you still like in just production mode, like getting a bunch of stuff ready for that? What what's been going on with you? I can't even I can't even focus on that right now, man. Right now, I'm just so hyped because of that new drop track before the pod. You might have noticed that we've got some yeah. new music. If you're not listening at like two, three, four x uh, to our pod. And that track was courtesy of Gigamen at Gigamen Official on Twitter. And these guys are super uh, rad. I saw that they had posted something where they covered old, like original Nintendo Entertainment System games. And uh, we exchanged some DMs because I-, I nerd out on that. Mega Man 2 is like one of the GOAT 
NES games of all time. And what you heard was a snippet of their cover of the Dr. Wily uh, level two track toward the end of the game. And it is like, it, it's just, it's just epic. It's, it's really great stuff. Old eight bit music that they turned into to uh, some metal with some double kick. And uh, yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that stuff. So thank you to the Gigaman. And we're going to try that out for a couple weeks. They also sent us a track from Contra, um, which is, I mean, that's like the best of all time with the password at the beginning of the game for infinite lives. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to have some fun with the Giga Man. But to get back to your question, man, <laughs> there there really has been so much going on. we got some new tools at Rotoviz that are giving me some new insights into these players as we draw a little bit closer to the NFL draft. And, you know, the box score scout is a, a tool that I used to cut up some of these guys uh, here about a week or two ago. And between that and, you know, all the analysts putting out their new information it's kind of refreshing to go back and look at well, what was the core of this prospect's profile because you get into all these different narratives and stuff just gets spoken into truth whether it's true or not and uh, i want to just go back to the roots of where i was like back in november december and i think that's a little bit of what we're going to get into today with some of these stats so um yeah uh i, I think some of the guys we're talking about today right it's our, it's our consensus top five from the dcc rookie guide Miles Sanders, this is no order in particular, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, Daryl Henderson, and Damian Harris. How did we rank those guys back in volume two? That would have been what, mid-February, Travis? Yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, we were we were putting together those ranks as, as the uh, combine kind of was just approaching and then really hashed it out right afterwards. So uh, that would have been like the first week of March. So time's flown. It's already been a month plus past the combine. All right. Well, before we jump deeper into these five guys and what needs to happen with those top running backs for them to land as the running back one in this class, we're going to hear a quick word from our beloved sponsor, the FFPC. Our friends at the FFPC are the world's largest dynasty league commissioners, and they have brand new startup dynasty leagues forming right now at 77 and $250 entry levels. You can play standard PPR, Superflex, and best ball formats. They also have just a few uh, orphan teams left at significant discounts. You can follow them at MyFFPC on Twitter. They tweet some of those uh, orphans out with the rosters occasionally if you want to look behind the curtain before you buy. If you're ready to draft some best ball, FFPC has you covered with drafts filling daily starting at just $35. Go to MyFFPC.com. That's my ffpc.com the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football and just a reminder all new subscribers to the dynasty command center slack get a 30 dollars league credit and you can apply that to any startup dynasty league fee at 77 dollars or higher yeah you know i think uh, some of our listeners are actually taking us up on that because i i keep on seeing more questions related to ffpc leagues in our slack chat all, all the time like with trades like, hey this is ffpc it's really growing and so i think uh, some people are actually taking uh, taking you up on that <laughs> they must be doing something right over there but <laughs> let's just jump right into the running back one discussion i think there's probably like we mentioned some probably some maybe five guys we might get into a couple other names that could shoot up into that conversation but uh, let's just jump in with josh jacobs because Ever since really the the national championship game, really the college football playoffs, I think a lot of people have been 
just kind of assuming that Josh Jacobs is going to be the running back one for this class. Lots of people mocking him in the early first round. I think it all began with that Daniel Jeremiah mock where he actually put him going fifth overall in the NFL draft, which was, well, it's probably not going to happen. But uh, that really started the hype train and, and the rest was history. Uh, but I don't think he was the running back one for a few of our rankers back around the NFL Combine. Uh, so, I mean, we could talk about why there that is the case. Uh, but, uh, I mean, like with you, what is it about Josh Jacobs' profile that maybe makes you hesitate uh, when it comes to making him the running back one? Okay, so with, with Jacobs, if, if you're playing catch-up and this is the first that you're listening to uh, rookie running back talk uh, in advance of the draft, yeah. The, the, yeah, the big question with him is, you know, why didn't he produce? And you have to know a lot of the context at Alabama – uh, with the other backs um, that were there that were holding him down and that he's a little bit of a, a late bloomer, wasn't as uh, heralded as a as a prospect. Um, but the skill set um, and the film evaluation is what's really driven him to the top. Like he is film draft Twitter's uh, golden child. Hmm. He has the traits um, that they love. Uh, at at Rotoviz, it's not that we don't uh, invest in film evaluation. It's that we don't necessarily claim to be on the level with M- NFL GM uh, and scouting departments in, in that category. And so we do try to let the statistics, the production, um, things that are measurable and easy to compare prospect to prospect, we let those things guide us to at least group these players into the right types of tiers. And then we bring in those other types of analysis. Yeah. And jo- yeah. And, and so Josh Jacobs, the big red flags on him from the box score scout, one of our new tools at Rotoviz are those, you know, production metrics. I, uh, I gave him a draft position, a predicted draft position of 40th overall. So that'd be like the top of the second round. I think we're seeing a mocked, you know, typically in the late first, early second. So I felt like that felt fair. But when, when you look at his final season rushing yards, his final season receptions, his adjusted market share numbers, um, and the absence of a 40 and a cone time at the combine, the comps that he returns, at least from a production standpoint, uh, his, his best comp, his most favorable comp is Devontae Freeman. And he's like the sixth closest, I guess. So if we just go down his top seven in order of how close the profiles are, it's Kenyon Drake. C.J. Procise, Kalen Balaj, Matt Jones, uh, Niall Davis, Devonta Freeman, and Eddie Lacy. So what do you think about that group? And then you being a little bit more talented in the film evaluation area, what would you add as a counter to any of that? Yeah, it's, it's really weird when you just compare production profiles, especially for some that uh, really are, are more film uh, focused, but I think it's important to really see that, that historical comp and just see like players that came out and did similar things. Maybe you know some of those guys look quite different uh, as runners and running styles, but I think that that Defonte Freeman, uh, obviously he's going to have more draft capital there. Um, you know the Eddie Lacy, obviously that that might be the closest one, <laughs> and it, it, but really there's not really anyone that that stands out as the the easy comp to me. Just that, you know, as a running style, there's nothing like that translates just directly from like a film side of things. But one thing I do uh, from a a film standpoint is I try to pull basically some objective 
pieces of information that, that are not so much my opinion, but they're just their truths. Like the, you know, because I, I think it's really easy to look at the same film and have 50 different answers. Like when you're trying to say, that, oh, well, this guy does this really well, and you know, somebody else could look at it and disagree with you. So really, what I try to do, and just a different form of numbers, is really take a look at uh, a six-game sample, uh, a bunch of carries, and, and as many carries as I can basically get my hands on in six games, because you really couldn't get very many carries on hand with uh, Josh Jacobs. But I, I take a look at the the personnel packages that they're running with. I take a, a look at the the average gain, the box defenders, the number, number of blocks, the run gap that they choose to to go into. And the point of first contact and the yards after contact and and things like that and just see what I can glean from that. Uh, and one thing I, I think that may help Josh Jacobs uh, and a lot of people love about Josh Jacobs he's he's a lot of reps in eleven and twelve personnel the most the two most common personnel groupings and just t- stereotypical usage that looks like a pro offense. Uh, he fits in that mold and has a lot of good experience doing things that he's going to do at the next level. Uh, but uh, I think we've talked about this before in prior conversations, maybe more of a zone fit than uh, man blocking scheme fit. Uh, but uh, he, he does have success across every run gap that I've found. So that's good to see a pretty balanced profile, but he has a pretty easy runway when it comes to just a clear path uh, to running when, when compared to all the other top guys we're going to get to here uh, shortly. He basically has like two and a half yards just of free reign uh, all day uh, running behind the Alabama offense, and even more so than his teammate, Damian Harris. So uh, there's, there's as, far, as far as the production profile, there's lots of questions there. Uh, I, get, I get it when I look at the film and, and just objective things you can pull from it and his, his success and yards after contact numbers, uh, but it's really not any more impressive objectively than somebody like a Miles Sanders or especially like even a David Montgomery Maybe lesser competition, but not even as impressive as somebody like Daryl Henderson uh, putting up, uh, you know, similar numbers or close numbers to those guys. But really, it's hard for me to just get on board and say, oh, that's the obvious running back one when you've got those kind of meh comps statistically and then nothing that really screams objective truth. Like you can't argue that the numbers from film you really can't argue that they make him the runaway running back one. So there's there's more questions than I think uh, the, the people that really love Josh Jacobs are wanting to deal with right now. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll find out here soon more as the NFL draft approaches and we actually see where he lands because I think that'll be really important. Uh, I know I think it was maybe Saturday while we were actually talking about uh, uh, where he might fit. What kind of team – or scheme, do you feel like it would benefit Josh Jacobs most and, and make you most excited to make him potentially the running back one? It, not only am I going to have to like the landing spot in terms of his ability to be the three down, you know, true bell cow style back, but I think he's going to need the draft capital too, because let's think about this for a second. You know, we basically have just crushed uh, his college profile from just a, a measurable standpoint and a production standpoint. It would be it'd be kind of unprecedented. I mean, if he was to be drafted in the first round, I, I mean, I really can't think of an example of a back who was selected early that didn't slay <laughs> in college. Running backs are compilers by nature. That's what they do. They touch the ball more than anybody. And that is wild to me. So the first thing that I would say is if he's not the first back off the board and he's not taken by like, 
really probably like pick 40, 42, you know, early, the first third of the second round, I'm really going to start to have a lot of those questions because everything that we've heard is that the film tells the story with him. And if there's enough questions from the NFL franchises that are causing them to differ with the evaluations of everybody in um, draft Twitter and fantasy Twitter <laughs> communities, then I, I yeah. think it's really going, those doubts are really going to become, the, you know, they're going to transition from whispers to screams for me. Um, if he is the okay. first back taken off the board and he is taken significantly earlier than other backs, you know, I think you posed the question as we entered this conversation, what would it take for him to be the RB1? Well, I think first and foremost, he has to be the RB1 in terms of draft capital for me. And then he's going to have to go somewhere where there's no significant competition from number two. Um, you and I were talking on Saturday, and, and I, for the life of me, can't track down the source. But somebody wrote a piece that I saw, and their their thought was that Jacobs is a much better fit for a zone scheme. And they... Uh, hypothesized that that's why Damian Harris had uh, some of the better per touch metrics, even though they're the same offense is because he was more disciplined when it came to actually paying attention to whether a run call was man uh, or zone blocking up front. And so, you know, I, you know, I'm not watching six games on each of these prospects like you are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it as it uh, unfolds during the season I'm going back and, and watching enough to feel educated on what they do well and maybe any glaring deficiencies that they have. But I'm very much more so a data-informed rookie ranker. Um, and so I think you confirmed a little bit of that for me when we talked. And so I, I would like to see him in a, in a zone scheme. Um, I don't know that landing in a man scheme, I don't think that you know he wouldn't be capable of learning that. But I, I kind of need all the stars to align for him to be the clear RB1. And if he's not RB1 in the draft in summation, he's he's just not going to be my RB1 uh, after yeah. after draft night. What about you? What what does he need? Yeah, I think he has to there has to be a significant gap there for me because Miles Sanders, I really like Miles Sanders. I think he I have less questions about him than I do just about anybody else in this class as far as running backs go. And we can get into to him and his delayed production, you know, being Saquon and all that. But, I mean, I, I think he has to have a pretty sig significant gap. I think there's going to be a couple running backs that go in that pick 25 to 36 or 37 range just because of the teams that are sitting in that range with, in some cases, multiple picks. And, you know, who knows? There could be somebody that trades up just a bit in to, to get into that range too. But I think that we're going to see a couple of guys go there, a slight gap, and then another one, uh, and then probably a drop-off after that. So, It'll be interesting to me to see like who those top three, maybe four uh, running backs are and how early they go. Because, I mean, there really could be zero running backs in the first round this year. And I really do think this class looks more like 2014 running backs than it does 2017 or 2018. And I, but that's not to say you can't get good values. I think uh, if, if there are a couple guys that are close, I'm probably keeping Miles Sanders over Josh Jacobs. If, if, if he's taken, you know, for whatever reason, mid first or something like that that's gonna pop my eyebrows up a little bit and I might have to reconsider but if he especially goes after just about anyone I think we have to start to at least question um, how much more so does this film really outweigh the rest of his profile being just completely barren of any reason to like him that, that's that's where I am with him and Miles Sanders I mean I just 
when it came to the combine, he answered a whole, a whole lot of questions this past season, immediately jumping in in place of Saquon Barkley and just taking it and running with it and showing that he's an adequate receiver, has the size, has really the vision, and, and we can get into my numbers. But I, I'm interested to talk through the, the comps that you found for Miles Sanders uh, doing the, uh, you know, the dive in uh, just from a production standpoint. Sure. Um, and so <clears throat> just a reminder of the exercise, if you're going to generate, and, and you guys can play with this tool if, if you've got a, a subscription to Rotoviz, but, you know, take my word for it for this exercise, you got to enter the prospects uh, projected draft position, and that's going to give you a tighter list of comps. And so for Sanders, I gave him a mid-second uh, pick 55. I feel like that's going to be you know that that might be a little low based off of some of the momentum, the momentum and the uh, the leaks that we're hearing now, but I feel like that's going to be within about ten picks, probably, of where he's going to go. And his comp list is definitely more encouraging than Josh Jacobs. Still not a home run comp list. There's a guy that we're going to talk about later that has the list that you want, um, but Sanders certainly more encouraging. His closest comp, um, carry on Johnson followed by Devontae Freeman, Jordan Wilkins, and Wendell Smallwood, but then ends up with Darius Geis, David Wilson, former first-round pick, and Sony Michelle. So lots of upside in that group. Um, a fairly versatile group when you think about uh, their ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, one thing driving the similarities in these profiles is that um, all of them, except for Sony Michelle, had at least 18 receptions in their final year, and a handful of them had at least 24 receptions, uh, as did Sanders in the last year. Um, all of these backs are over 205 pounds, and all of them had uh, pretty quick uh, 40 times. Freeman, by far the slowest, at 4.58. Um, the rest of them sub, well, Sony Michelle's at 4.54, but then we've got David Wilson sub 4.4. And then Geis, uh, Smallwood, and Sanders all in the 4-4 four, four, uh, to 4-5 range. So lots of similarities there. I really like that comp group for him because when you think about those players, the ones that have been successful, it was based off a landing spot. You know, Carrion yeah. Johnson looked pretty good in his rookie season, but he landed in a messy committee, and, you know, that's not, not any fault of his own. That's the, you know, the the weird desire of the Lions to put worse players on the field. But you know, Devontae Freeman, you had to be patient and wait for one season. But then, he, you know, he ended up as the RB1, I think, in his second year. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and Sonny Michelle had a, a very, you know, took him a little while to get cooking. Um, but, you know, he had a very successful rookie year as well. So it's really going to come down to where's the landing spot and what's that um, committee look like. And then the Wilkins and Smallwood pieces, they actually have very similar profiles to Sanders. But those are the, the weak – two of the weaker comps in his top seven, in my opinion, just because of the draft position issue. I mean, Wilkins at pick 169, Smallwood at pick 153, just not even in the same uh, stratosphere as where Sanders can be selected. So um, I think that those comps will fall by the wayside a little bit as time uh, moves on. What do you think? Of, well, you've already told us what you think about Sanders, but what would he actually need? Uh, let's ask the reverse question. So he is your RB1. Yeah. What would cause him yeah. to be dethroned from that perch? I think he'd have to drop like almost to the end of the second round, maybe early third round. Uh, at this point, uh, that would that would do it for me, especially third round. But it really, end of the second, if he was like the f fourth or fifth running back, maybe taken, uh, he'd probably drop out of my running back one slot. 
Uh, but there's a, there's a lot that I like. I mean, I like his production profile that you well that what we have of a production profile. Uh, but really, what I, I, I what really sold me is when I compared his charting numbers to Josh Jacobs, who was supposed to be much better. He uh you know faced slightly lighter boxes because of the personal packages that Penn State likes to run. So they face a, a slightly and just barely uh, fewer defenders on average uh, in the box than Alabama does. But uh, because they have fewer blockers in, given that they run 10 and 11 personnel all day, uh, he actually faced much more difficult situations. Uh, had to almost always face an extra defender uh, when compared to uh, Josh Jacobs and really almost anyone in this class beyond just David Montgomery. David Montgomery faced some ridiculously stupid boxes. But uh, what Miles Sanders was able to do on the six-game sample that I saw was generate yards after contact, just create and force at least one extra defender to miss, and really Penn State's offensive line. And it was not good when, when Saquon Barkley was there, and it was not good when he was there, and that showed up quite frequently. He was just having to dodge defenders in the backfield quite often and had to really create for himself. And uh, I, I like that a lot. Obviously, Josh Jacobs is not bad at that, but Miles Miles Sanders just had to get creative <laughs> given what he was given uh, in that offense. But I think his game translates from uh, a personnel usage standpoint. I mean, it's almost exclusively just 10, 11, 12, almost nothing else. I think he had maybe a couple examples of some Wildcat carries, but just very like where the NFL is going, that's what that's – what, Penn State is running right now. So uh, Sanders, I think, translates in a whole lot of different offenses, and I don't think he'll be very limited uh, given uh, his run gap success and given uh, you know what he was able to do in unfavorable situations, uh, more so than just about anybody I watched. So lots to like there. I, it would have to be like some major draft, draft capital just gone for me to not like him. Okay, okay. Yeah, Sanders, I mean – you're pretty much the person that caused Sanders to rise up the board for me before the combine. And once I saw the athletic performance and um, had had time to reconcile just the whole picture of him, that he was held down by Saquon Barkley and that, you know, just because his numbers weren't on par with Saquon um, doesn't mean that he's a slouch. <laughs> and I, I think that's, no, you know, no. I, I've had a chance to appreciate, you know, what he is. And, and all the measurables are there. I think his comp group and the road of his box score scout is certainly respectable. And so I have no problem with Miles Sanders, you know, spending a, a mid-first rookie pick on him. I'm not sure for me if he would get to my RB1 unless he actually was the first back selected. Because there is one other back that has kind of broken out for me. Um, that we'll yeah. that we'll talk about, um, but but well, hey, really look, really like just... really like Sanders. No, we're we're gonna make him wait. We're gonna make him wait because I want to talk about Daryl. Okay. I want to talk about Daryl Henderson <laughs> first because Daryl Henderson is a guy that I've been you know I've been touting for months uh, and months, and and I stand by you know what I've been saying. Um, but the road of his box score scout doesn't paint a, a very pretty picture uh, for Henderson's comp group. Now let's think about this. Weight's one of the main drivers. So who are who are his main comps? They're going to be fast guys who are uber productive, okay. Especially in final season, they're going to have draft capital. Certainly not in the first round, and we're talking probably later day two, uh, early day three, and they're lighter guys from a weight perspective. This is a group that 
mostly weighs between 200 and 210 pounds in his top seven comps. The only top seven comp um, that has like prototype three down back weight historically is Rashad Penny at 220 pounds, and he's his seventh closest comp. He's not even his closest comp. So the, the group that's returned on Daryl Henderson, Tevin Coleman, closest comp, Bishop Sankey, ugh. Amir Abdullah, double, ugh. David Wilson, uh, you know, we don't know what would happen there. Uh, injuries derailed him. Uh, did have first-round draft capital, but also attended Virginia Tech, a little bit different level of competition than Henderson at Memphis. on Johnson shows up again. Wendell Smallwood shows up again, and Rashad Penny. So, it, you know, it's not that there's not some glimmers of hope there. You know, Tevin Coleman hasn't been, you know, completely useless as a fantasy uh, asset. And, you know, like we said earlier, on Johnson, you know, showed some promise last year. But a couple yeah. big whiffs there, too, in the top four. And that, that's enough to give you a little bit of pause. But, I mean, geez, you know, tell me a little bit about what you saw when you watched his games. Because what I saw was a guy that if he got to the edge, he had the vision to find the seam. And he housed, like, all his 10-yard runs were just, like, 50-yard runs. Because he had oh, the yeah. speed to run away from guys. And, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that the film on him is more right than the numbers. Because I'm just such a big fan. Um, but what did, what did you see when you watched Henderson? I mean, it's exactly that. Like uh, the six game sample that I broke down, just snap by snap and carry by carry. I mean, you've got a you got eighty yard gain, seventy eight yard gain, fifty nine, forty three, twenty, twenty five, thirty one. Like it's just littered with with gains like that, and and that just showed up time and time again. Obviously, he got stuffed at times because uh, it's Memphis and uh, they don't have a perfect offensive line, but it's also not perfect, uh, you know, level of competition. But he still faced a less favorable situation uh, than Josh Jacobs on average uh, in terms of uh, blockers versus defenders in the box. Uh, really more so. Again, I mean, that's going to be a trend uh, as we go through this. And he did have less room to work with on average in terms of actual yards before contact. Uh, and he gained a ridiculous amount of yards after contact because once he shakes off that first arm tackle, he's taken it 73 yards to the house. And in the six-game sample I, I looked at, he actually had just over six yards after contact, whereas Josh Jacobs didn't even hit six, six yards per carry. Uh, just the ridiculous numbers that Daryl Henderson was able to put up and, and running in all sorts of different pe- personnel packages. Mem- Memphis got pretty creative at times this past season, uh, more so than in previous years, I think. Ran some heavier packages with Henderson, ran some Wildcat with him, uh, they did, especially if they played a team more than once, or you know, they, they played Central Florida a couple times. They really mix it up, you know, ran some eleven personnel, twenty one, twenty two, twenty, uh, Wildcat. You know, just really, really mixing mixing it up, trying to give teams different looks. And I think that that's going to help Daryl Henderson have some scheme versatility at the next level. Obviously, I like the Tevin Coleman comp, I guess, because Tevin Coleman was a home run hitter for Indiana. And so it's easy to kind of make that comp. But there's a lot to like when looking at Daryl Henderson just from a film perspective. And really, I mean, you kind of mentioned this before when we were talking about him, but he's a little bit shorter, so that weight is a little bit, I mean, it's a little bit misleading, right? I mean, so there's 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 some positives. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and some of these other backs were taller. I mean, Henderson does have a 31.6 BMI. That's 80th percentile for yeah. a running back. Exactly. So, um, yeah, thicker, the weight maybe not as much of a concern 
you, you know, there's there's always context and, you, you know, how big is the frame. Um, but I think for Henderson, he really is going to be landing spot sensitive because will he land in a, in a place where the OC will give him 15 to 18 touches a game? Because we haven't really seen that for really any of the other backs uh, in his top seven of, of the of the box score scout. Um, Coleman finally kind of got his chance in, in 2018 with the Freeman injury, and it, it didn't actually go all that well for him when he was no. counted on a little bit more, and, and that's what drove Ito Smith um, to a little bit of fantasy relevance. So um, won't spend any more time on Henderson. Just know um, Travis and I are, are both big fans um, from, the, from what we see, um, but a little bit more sensitive, and I don't know based off of what I'm what I'm hearing. I, I don't know that either of us would end up with him as our RB one no. in, in any circumstance, um, just because Probably of some not. of these questions. Um, certainly deserving to be in that tier, maybe, mm-hmm. um, but probably not going to end up as the first uh, back off of either of our boards in in dynasty rookie drafts. So before we get on to the next back, I want to pause for a word from our sponsor. Yahoo. There is no green, Travis, like the green at Augusta. And it is Masters Week, baby. And I love the Masters. I love me some uh, major weekend golf. It's the only golf that I ever watch. And Augusta is probably one of the prettiest TV events of the year. Well, Yahoo Sports Daily Fantasy dropped a new GPP this year just for the Masters. It's $100,000 guaranteed in this prize pool with 20K to first place. Rotoviz has you covered with free, free PGA DFS content specifically tailored to Yahoo strategies by the one and only Matt Jones. If, you, if you're not following Matt on Twitter, Matt Jones, uh, TFR, um, amazing, amazing work with some of his golf models this year. Um, winning lots of people money and doing pretty well himself. I think the winner of the Yahoo tournament could buy any number of green jackets. Whoever wins the actual PGA tournament, they just get one green jacket. Okay. It doesn't get replaced. They got to dry clean it. You can just buy a new green jacket like every day if you win this tournament. So go to <laughs> yahoo.com slash daily fantasy right now. And you could be celebrating on Sunday evening your second place finish because i'm gonna win that thing wow that's that's some uh that's some confidence you got there considering you watch like you you only watch major golf events i mean i, I don't know it might put you at a disadvantage so if you like taking money from curtis <laughs> we should have phrased it as, <laughs> as that hey the you less can, you uh, the less you know the better in a gpp my friend i'm not afraid to that, click the names that no one else will click <laughs> that's yeah that's that's probably there's some truth to that for sure. Yeah. But are, are we gonna make him wait anymore? Are we gonna make him wait one more running back or no? Let's let's in? talk about the box score scout all star, uh, David Montgomery. So you talked a little bit about uh, what he saw in terms of boxes, and before I even talk about the box score scout, let's just remind people of what the profile of David Montgomery looks like. He's not a guy who was yards per carry star. Uh, he was the focal point of opposing defenses, even though that team had Hakeem Butler, David Montgomery was um, enemy number one, priority number one for opposing defenses. David Montgomery broke pro football focuses, uh, broken tackles metric. I mean, he set, he set a new record, had over a hundred broken tackles last year, just last year, not his career last year. Okay. And on, on over 200 touches. So, you know, every like what touch and a half, He's breaking a tackle. I mean, just insane. So, you know, I know we didn't get 
Cone, metrics from him at the combine. I'm not sure that we need him. He proved that he was plenty elusive uh, by his body of work. So in my workup for David Montgomery, I gave him a draft position of 50th overall. So second, mid-second round, similar to Miles Sanders, just a couple ticks before. Reminding the listeners, he had a 40 uh, in the low four sixes with a weight of 222. And it returned a really, really exciting top seven in terms of comps. This top seven comp list includes the names Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Marlon Mack. And then we get Jeremy Hill, Mike Davis, and Wayne Gallman. So um, other than Gallman and Davis, all of those guys have had significant, significant fantasy success. I mean, don't turn your nose up at Jeremy Hill. It might have been situation-based, but he was a total fantasy stud for the, his first two seasons in in the league, and he's one of the weaker comps in this list. Um, Gallman and, and Davis, uh, of course, in this list don't aren't going to be able to hold a candle in terms of draft uh, position uh, when it's all said and done to Montgomery because I do strongly believe he's going to go off the board by the end of the second round. But, man, I, mean, I, I don't really care – what the guy's name was, I mean, you know, it could be uh, Benny Cunningham, whatever his name is. Hmm. If his comp list is Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell uh, in his top seven, you have my attention, especially when you are already in my upper tier of running backs. And this comp list is so impressive that, you know, he is squarely in the conversation for my RB1 now. Uh, when we did our rankings back in February, I had him uh, in my top four. Um, I was souring a little bit coming off of the the combine that wasn't quite as impressive as some of the other guys. But there's always that, there's always that immediacy of what happens with the, the new information because you you watch these guys all year and you track their stats all year and you compare them to historical uh, comps uh, all fall and then you get this new information of the athleticism at the combine. And it's just hard to not overreact to that. Um, and I think I did that a little bit with Montgomery, if, if I'm being truthful. And and now when seeing how he still compares favorably to some of the best fantasy backs of the past decade, um, I'm, I'm all aboard. I'm all aboard with David Montgomery. So um, let me, let me know what you think with him and what would he have to do to leap Miles Sanders, your RB one. You know, he's almost like the forgotten guy for a lot of people because for a while in, in Debbie leagues and people just that were pumped about the 2019 NFL draft really thought that David Montgomery was going to be the running back one for a while just because of what he was able to do uh, just a couple of years ago. And uh, and really even up through probably late last fall, I think a lot of people were already kind of crowning him the running back one. And then Josh Jacobs came along. People looked at Gerald Henderson. People looked at, at Miles Sanders. Uh, and I think they're probably just overthinking David Montgomery a little bit with comps like that from a statistical standpoint and then the elusiveness that he brings in the game and the success that he had against the, basically the most unfavorable situations uh, when you combine the number of blockers in the box and, and his blockers to defenders, uh, things like that. Uh, and then basically generating like 75% of his yards after contact, I mean, it's just absolutely absurd what he was able to, to do. And really, uh, the beating that he was able to, to maintain on two seasons of 250-plus carries at Iowa State. Uh, and really, uh, just from a charting standpoint, 
Uh, he had probably uh, he, he's he's a little bit interesting because he actually ha- again had some scheme versatility similar to Daryl Henderson. Um, a lot of times you'll see kind of smaller schools, uh, you know, maybe non-power five schools really mix it up with some strange personnel packages. He didn't have a huge sample outside of the the, the typical stuff, but he had experience doing just about everything and found success uh, on just every. Uh, really just about every personnel package you could really come up with. Uh, and, and whereas, you know, with, with Josh Jacobs, who may have had more success running tight end left and like left guard, like and maybe tight end right, like outside, David Montgomery had extreme success running straight up the gut. Basically the lowest expected value run gap that you have is, is right up the center uh, when you look at it from an analytic standpoint. But he was able to generate – yards after contact, running it basically in the most inefficient gap there is in football. And so I think uh, if he actually gets utilized in, in probably a more efficient way in the pros, that yards per carry is going to level out a little bit by comparison. Uh, and that elusiveness, I, I really I want to see what that does when you get him in space consistently uh, at the next level because I think he can win. And uh, yeah, with comps like that, it's just it's, it's a lot to get excited about. So I think – Really, it's just going to take a little bit more draft capital from him uh, to push him over the top. If he's if there's a significant gap between him and Sanders, I think I probably give Montgomery the edge. Okay, so let's just play radio for a second. So David Montgomery, top of the second round to Tampa Bay, is he RB one? Well, Tampa Bay scares the crap out of me in general, <laughs> but uh, and just they they like to they like to ruin running backs real quick. <laughs> But Bruce but, Arians with the David Johnson history, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think I would probably give him the boost there, especially if Miles Sanders dropped to maybe pick, you know, close to maybe pick sixty-ish or something in that range, and you had David Montgomery going in, in the thirties, and uh, yeah, that would probably do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we've got we've got one. Oh, one final one final comment I wanted to make kind of harkening back to the BMI comment that you made about Daryl Henderson. He had a BMI of 31.6, which was 80th percentile. Montgomery, you know, obviously just by measure, much larger back, two inches taller, um, about 16 pounds heavier, but his BMI is 31.9. I mean, they have almost identical BMIs. So shrink them down, and um, that maybe would give people a little bit better picture of uh, Henderson's compact um, chunk, I guess is, is what we would want to want to say there. So yeah. we, yeah, the compact chunk. So the last guy we want to talk about, and we're not going to ask if he's going to be the running back one in any circumstance. Cause I think the clear answer is no. So let's take more of an approach of, is there a circumstance or can you see maybe putting him in the conversation with these other four guys? Because you said that David Montgomery has been a little bit forgotten in terms of being at the top of the group. Well, Damian Harris has kind of been forgotten or not talked about much at all because he's, he's been kind of a a cut below Um, Josh Jacobs, his backfield mate uh, who had less production has, you know, really just outshone him ever since college po- football playoff and all the attention that he got for his strong play there. But Damian Harris, talented back in his own right, and he held down that backfield in Alabama uh, for good reason. I mean, he was highly touted uh, as a recruit and didn't necessarily do anything um, to play his way off of the field. Um, I'm assuming a third round, mid third round um, draft uh, position for Damian Harris. Uh, so is that about where you would have him before we even get any further in the comps? 
I think maybe. I think that, that might be where draft Twitter has him. But I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got the Alabama back boost and, and was somewhere in the mid-second. And I know okay. that there have been some mocks with him in that conversation as well. I think he's, I think the sweet spots, like really like the the beginning of round three probably would, would be about what I expect for him, that 2-3 turn. Just because I have to mix in what I what I believe. I think third round feels right for him. But I think that uh, he might get a little boost there, uh, just because he, he may not be sexy, but he he turns the yards out. So <laughs> NFL teams are going to like that. Sure, and there's some I mean, there's some teams that um, even in 2019 are saying they want to build around pounding the rock. We're hearing that type of uh, language in yeah. Tennessee and in Baltimore, and um, you know the NFL is cyclical, and regardless of what data might tell us. Um, you know, uh, head coaches know this and, and you know, as, as, uh, defensive, uh, schemes change, there might be some opportunities there to, uh, pound the middle. So, um, it only takes one team. That's the other thing about the NFL draft it only takes one team, uh, to yep. drive somebody's draft position. So, okay. Okay. So you say maybe anywhere from the mid second to the mid third. So if anything, this, this, uh, list of comps might be on the low end for Damian Harris's query that I ran. Um, let's think about just cloud level, what types of players are going to show up on a comp list for Damian Harris. So they're, they're going to be players who aren't drafted on day one. These are definitely day two prospects. They're guys with reasonable size. You know, Damian Harris, 216 pounds at the combine. They're guys with average-ish speed. You know, he ran mid four or fives in the 40. Um, and they're guys that don't necessarily have stellar production. Um, Harris split touches. I mean, his final season rushing yards, 876 yards for Alabama this year. He did have 22 receptions. Jacobs is getting all the love as the receiver for the Crimson Tide and as the receiving prospect, but Harris has requisite receiving ability. So these are guys that can catch the ball, maybe not known for it, but can catch the ball. So Harris's closest comp in the box score scout is actually Devontae Freeman. He also returns Kalen Balaj, Kenyon Drake, another Alabama back that um, never locked down I guess, dominant carry share, Mike Gillisley, hmm. Kristen Michael, uh, Sonny Michelle, <laughs> oh, and, jo- and Jonathan, Jonathan Williams. When, when you said late second, like late second, early third, it's like, oh, no. the buzzer oh, went no. off because Kristen yeah. Michael, uh, 62nd, <laughs> right in that range uh, with some similar measurables to Harris. But of course, um, he, you know, he was kind of a, a combine all-star and had the you know, just the insane off the charts three cone time that, that led him to that, I think. But so, so that's accomplished for Harris. I think, you know, Freeman showing up for a lot of these guys really because of the draft position, uh, you know, as a, as a fourth round pick. And some of these guys were, were, you know, projecting in, in the mid to late second, or even in the mid third, like Harris here, he's going to start to show up because he's so far from the first round in a lot of these comps. And then, and then of course the average 40 time as well, leads him to continue showing up. But, you know, we also see uh, Sony Michelle and Kenyon Drake. I mean, say what you want. If they would just give him the ball, he's been a great fantasy producer. But for whatever reason, uh, Adam Gates liked to wait until about week 11 um, to realize that every year. Um, so, we'll, we'll have, we'll, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens in 2019 with the uh, new coaching staff there. But the the bottom of this list is a little scary. Balaj, maybe we can argue that the jury's still out. Balage might represent what would happen if the bottom fell out of Harris on draft day and something went awry and there was something we didn't know about him and, and he really slid. Mike Gillisley again, you know, really low end there. I don't I don't see him falling that far. 
um, but, but Jonathan Williams as well. Um, so there's some guys here that similar size, similar athleticism, similar uh, final season production from Power 5 schools that didn't pan out. So um, what do you see with Harris, and what would you need to see in terms of draft capital for him to enter the conversation as a Tier 1 running back, even if he's not your RB1? Yeah, I think he is kind of in that – we've kind of hit this before, just going back and forth in conversation, but he's kind of like in a tier of his own. And so entering into that conversation, I think if he was in that mid-second range, I think people would go, oh, um, maybe I need to take a second look here, especially if he passes up one of those those guys that we have in our you know, top four range right now and was actually drafted ahead of them. I think we have to put him in the conversation because of the success that – he was able to have and having a 1,000 yard season for Alabama, which just doesn't happen all the time unless you're Derrick Henry. Uh, and so, and really holding on to that job in the way that he did. Uh, and I really like what I found just breaking it down and tr- trying to find some objective takeaways from his film. And he faced harder boxes than Josh Jacobs and gr- just grinded out yards. Uh, and there's really no arguing with that. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it was Alabama's just decision to, and it wasn't really that they tipped their hand because they had, from what I could tell, a pretty even split run pass between those two backs. But defense has just treated Damian Harris a little bit differently uh, in terms of uh, how they would align and uh, how they would uh, make sure to have like an extra defender in there. About 50% of the time, uh, actually a little bit more so than that in the sample that I saw, uh, he faced uh, an extra defender, uh, and more so than Josh Jacobs, and, and was just able to grind it out. He wasn't always the big flashy guy, uh, but he'd run a defense down and, and do his job. And then Josh Jacobs would catch a, a pass in the flat and take it for a while, or you know he, he'd kind of get a big runway and you know break an arm tackle and take take a, a 59 yard uh, you know carry in prime time against Georgia and make himself look really good. And so people just kind of forgot that Damian Harris was really there. But really, it's all about the draft capital with Damian Harris. People just need a reminder because he, he answered a lot of the phys- physical questions. He answered the production questions. And really, he just didn't have the flash that people wanted because they were watching Josh Jacobs. Uh, but I think he's right there in that conversation. And if he gets anywhere near pick 50-ish, I think that's going to boost him up into the conversation most definitely. Okay, well, let's let's pull this all together uh, because you know we can have this conversation, but if it's not going to impact how we actually draft in our own dynasty rookie drafts, then what are we really doing here? Well, I'm in the middle of yeah. the Elite Lemonade Dynasty League rookie draft right now, and I had the 106 uh, from a previous trade. Uh, I selected, after I knew that I was going to be able to trade for the 107, I went ahead and selected Josh Jacobs at 106. And I had immediately traded for the 107 to move up to take David Montgomery. And that was because of what I saw in the box score scout. So I've got in that league, I'm walking away with who we kind of think the NFL has evaluated by film as the number one guy. And then kind of who we think doesn't have bad film, but the analytics are maybe saying is the strongest uh, prospect in the class. I got each one of them, and so it's kind of cool because of the way this conversation that we're having is, you know, what's the most important part of a prospect's uh, uh, makeup uh, as we evaluate them? Well, I kind of got the analytics guy and the film guy, and and I can just root for both of them to score fantasy points, but um, th- throwing two darts there, 
uh, two very different types of darts. Um, but but I think my main takeaway here is that you know I do like the top of this running back class still to be NFL producers. There's been a lot uh, a, a lot written, a lot spoken about um, that this is a weak running back class, and there's certainly like hardly any depth to it. I will agree there. Um, but there is no reason that the five guys, really the first four that we talked about, but even the, even Harris, there's no reason they can't be reasonable fantasy producers or even top-end fantasy producers with some of the teams that are looking for uh, their majority market share leader in the backfield going into this season. So um, I'm going to, since, since Sanders is your number one, we've had this conversation now. If you were in the same situation, you, you got the 106, let's say you've taken Sanders off the board. 107 falls in your lap. Which of these guys are you taking as your number two? So 106, I've taken Miles Sanders, and he's the running back one off the board. And who's who's my number two out of this crew that we've discussed tonight? Yeah. Let's let's assume everyone kind of goes where where they're projected. So okay. uh, we're, we're, we're going to say Jacobs goes in the early second, Montgomery goes in the mid-second. Okay, well, I, I think I'd, I would have to go with Montgomery, given what I know. Uh, I think I just have more questions than – anybody i'm going to end up with zero shares of josh jacobs and it's not because i dislike him completely i think that there's just always going to be somebody that likes him more than me and i think today given the comps given the film given the elusiveness i think i would i would lean montgomery i love it man that's actionable i think that the listeners can can apply that and uh you know we, we took the long route but we arrived there so <laughs> um, if, if, yeah, if, if you're somebody that, that's scared a little bit by Sanders in the, in the one year, or you, you, you know, don't like Penn state for some reason, uh, Montgomery's kind of, he's kind of this late evaluation period star for us and, and rising as a, a, a target for us in the mid, the mid first round of dynasty rookie drafts. So if you don't own a pick there and, and you just got to get yourself some backfield production, uh, maybe consider trading into that range for David Montgomery in 2019. I like it. I like it a lot. But that's probably all we have time for on this episode and probably more than we really had time for anyway. But I appreciate you following along and joining us again for another episode. Uh, Keep in mind, I mean, we're going to be talking rookies for a while, but the rookie guide that we put out, the the second edition, is still available. Uh, You know, that's jam-packed with all types of good content with uh, rookie coverage and we'll have the third edition out after the nfl draft you can check that out and get your copy at dynastycommandcenter.com curtis thanks again for joining me this week no problem i'm gonna go play some mega man 2 <laughs> yeah yeah that, that just for the <laughs> nostalgia factor and, and the soundtrack apparently of course but uh, <laughs> you can find curtis on twitter at cpatrickNFL. i'm travis may You can find me at FF underscore Travis M. Thanks again for joining us for another Dynasty Command Center podcast. And until next time, you guys just keep on living that dynasty life.
Summer's slipping away, so grab hold of Amazing at California's Great America before it's too late. Buy next year's season pass and get unlimited visits this year to experience rides, shows, and attractions. That includes incredible coasters, Boomerang Bay, and an amazing Peanuts-themed kids' area. Get this special offer for as low as 11 payments of $6.50 after an initial payment. Hurry to get the best price on the most fun you can have. Buy your 2020 season pass now at cagreatamerica.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.